This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Look, I don't know what you did or who you're working for, but I promise you this. You're gonna play ball, one way or the other. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time. I am your host, James Hamrick, and I am joined with my co-host, Gabe Green. What's going on? Hey man, happy to be here and talk about a really fun film. Yeah, and considering I had like vaguely recalled seeing the first one, this is the first time that I... Like, this is the first one that I haven't seen and knew nothing about at all. So, that's pretty cool. I, I'm still kind of in shock that you managed to you know live through the 2010s, you know, 2000s, 2010s, and not see the series. It's, weird. it's just so weird to It's me. especially weird, like, seeing the people who are in it, you know? Like, in the first one, whenever Chris Cooper and Brian Cox show up, and then you have um, uh, Clive Owen show up. I'm like, what? I, like... Bourne is just so integrated in the conversation. I didn't know any of these guys were in it. And then again here, uh, or and, th- and then like to an understandable degree, like I, I get why nobody remembers, but seeing like Walton Goggins there and then seeing uh, a very young uh, Michelle Monaghan here, it's like, wow. But I definitely had no idea uh, that I should have expected Carl Urban in this one. <laughs> yeah, so as you've probably guessed, we are talking about uh, the Bourne series. And this week we are talking about the second one, The Born Supremacy. And to help us talk about that, we are joined by our friend, Sam Dodson. Welcome to Franchise Steak, Sam. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good to be here. Glad to be back. Back in this, I think the last time I was here was before Corona. So, mm. been kind of a crazy time, crazy life. Uh, was there a time be before Corona? I do not remember. I mean, either. It's It's been so far away, so far in the this past. This is the so. world. Yes. But glad to be here. Um, so you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we move into the film? Sure. Um, I am of the 20 years of age. I am currently in my second year of film school. I am a fellow cinephile, as these two gentlemen are. Um, really love anything and everything pop culture, Star Wars, all that good stuff. Huge action uh, movie nerd. And very excited to talk about one of my favorite uh, action movies and one of my favorite action series. So, All right. Uh, before we talk about... Uh... The Born Supremacy, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and subscribe while you're at it. And uh, if you want to like us on Facebook, you can keep up to date with all the latest episodes and leave feedback that can be right on this show. And speaking of said feedback, I asked on Facebook and Twitter what our listeners thought about The Born Supremacy. Jack said, I mean, I liked it. In my view, it gave the story a real direction as he's getting retribution for his girl being killed instead of him. But I have to agree the shaky cam was excessive. Uh, I believe this was a, a reply to this first comment from Shane Dotson. Hey. Uh, hey. Uh, too much shaky cam. Shaking cam for the sake of shaky cam. Uh, and while I think the movie has a lot of strengths uh, to, you know, to only bring up the weakness, I do have to agree that there is a bit much for me. But we'll get into that in the review. That, that'll be interesting to talk about. Um, yes, yes. I have a few thoughts about that. a huge conversation to be had. <laughs> and then on Twitter, NostalgiaCast at, at D.W. Lundberg said, 
A kinetic cont continuation of Lyman's Born Identity, Greengrass's shaky cam aesthetic adds to the movie's intensity. Future filmmakers overuse the shaky cam in other films, diluting its effect. Also a big fan of the way supremacy builds on builds to Bourne confronting his victim's child. So moving into the behind the scenes of this film, uh, the novel The Bourne Supremacy was published in 1986, uh, but by all accounts, the film and the book share very few similarities beyond the title. Um, so there weren't initially plans for a sequel when they made The Born Identity. Um, however, after the, the film's success, they started moving on a sequel, as they do. <laughs> and while uh, Tony Gilroy was, was brought along from the first film to write the sequels, uh, the producers, you know, Universal and also um, Frank Marshall, um, who's a you know pretty legendary producer, also the husband of Kathleen Kennedy, um, he's one of the primary shepherds of the Bourne series. Uh, they did not want to work with Doug Lyman again. Um, <laughs> he made so much trouble on the first set, so... So on Tony Gilroy's suggestion, they hired a British director, Paul Greengrass, mainly because of his 2002 film, Bloody Sunday, about the uh, real-life 1972 Bloody Sunday shootings in Northern Ireland. Lyman is credited as an executive producer on all the sequels. However, I don't know how much, like, pretty much if you create a franchise, your name will be on it forever, long after you die, pretty much. Uh, so I don't know how much involvement, he, if any, he actually had in these films after the first one which is it's kind of sad that he you know pretty you know he created this series that just got booted off of it so unceremoniously yeah so for the cast obviously uh matt damon returns as jason Bourne. uh this time we were introduced to joan allen as pamela landy uh brian cox returns as ward abbott that was like something that i really loved about this is that a lot of times in in these kinds of series, although don't ask me to give an example because I'll go blank, but it feels <laughs> like you'll have some of these lead characters. Oh, I guess Mission Impossible would be a good one. Uh, you've kind of got the head Bond. of this movie, mm -hmm. Bond. Although, no, Bond is pretty similar. You, you, you always uh, have yeah. M and Q. He might, he might just be played by a different actor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you've got a bunch of different Felix Lighters. A lot of different <laughs> Felix Lighters. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, with Mission Impossible, it's like this time, I forget the name of the actor from the first one, but then it's Anthony Hopkins, and then it's this person, and then it's that person, Alec Baldwin, and uh, we kind of bounce around. Henry so it Zerny. was cool. Do it. Henry Zerny is the awesome dude from okay. the first yeah. one. Yeah. And he's coming back, isn't he? That's <laughs> what I hear. Oh. Yeah, don't forget about Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence but, Fishburne uh, in the third one. I really am. Oh, that's oh, right. Yes. He was the person Orange I was Fishburne and his monologues. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so all that said, I, I really liked seeing Brian Cox return. Be like, oh no, he was very instrumental in the first one, and he's back. And even you know, even though uh, Chris Cooper was dead, they brought him back for story. Like it was, it was just cool to see what is typically a very like expendable kind of character for these series continue to be integral to the the plot so i like yeah. seeing brian cox back i also just really like him as an actor mm -hmm. uh, also returning is julia styles as nikki parsons uh who i like a lot as well uh martin sokas as uh is it jarda i don't Was we don't hear his name former? i think he's just okay treadstone agent gotcha well as treadstone agent <laughs> uh to my surprise, Carl Urban as Kirill. I can't believe they've made that incredible Australian accent hide behind a Russian one. Mm. Although so Russian Zealand accents are cool. Accent. But... Oh, that's right. Sorry. My apologies to the nation of New Zealand. <laughs> uh, 
Carol Roden as Gretkoff, uh, Franka Potten. I, I re- went over the same thing, the first one. <laughs> However you pronounce it, as Marie Helena Krutz, uh, Gabriel Mann as Danny Zorn, uh, Thomas Arana as Martin Marshall, Tom Gallup as Tom Cronin, uh, Michelle Monaghan as Kim, uh, and then o- Oksana Akinshina as Irene Nesky. So as uh, filming went, apparently Gilroy and Greengrass did not get along at all while working on Supremacy. Uh, quoting from the Hollywood Reporter, uh, Paul and Tony have different styles, a source uh, with knowledge of the conflict says. Tony does all the work before and delivers a finished script. Paul wants the script to be ever-evolving during shooting. Um, which, that sounds a lot like uh, Lyman's method as, as far as you know, his approach to the script and constantly evolving and discovering the story in the process. Yeah, apparently it was a, a source of constant conflict in this film, and uh, apparently it got it got serious enough that one of Gilroy's stipulations for helping out with the script of Ultimatum was not having to deal with Greengrass at all. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, but uh, apparently I'm guessing Greengrass didn't have any of the uh, the Lymania, as they called it, uh, because <laughs> Universal obviously really likes him. And at, and and this time, this the, that sim, that organic style of storytelling did lead to similar issues. Supposedly, two weeks before uh, Supremacy's release, Greengrass got the studio to give him an additional two hundred thousand to reshoot the ending, uh, which did pay off because it got much higher test scores from uh, test audiences. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. that's the uh, ending where he's talking to her you know, through the window, um, you know, to the sky <laughs> well, f- from separate skyscrapers or whatever mm-hmm. in uh, New York. Yeah, I was looking at it before. Apparently, the original ending was like the conversation between he and Irene. Irene being the, uh, the daughter, Nesky's daughter. Yeah, or yeah, Irene. Okay. Um, and we gotta be careful, Sam. Uh, that James has not seen Ultimatum, so we get it's 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 oh, gonna be difficult oh. not to spoil because uh, <laughs> there are there's a lot of connections between Supremacy and Ultimatum, but uh, we gotta be okay. careful, try not to spoil anything for him. Okay, okay and I was I was gonna make that own like my own version of that warning even so far as like something that i really liked about this was yeah i mean you might not have considered brian cox returning as a spoiler but that's that was really cool to me to see him come back in the same for yeah, uh, yeah. yeah julia style so i one of the the joys of watching these with somehow avoiding all these spoilers all my life is seeing like oh it's that person i didn't know they were in this yeah, no, the only thing that I really was maybe going to mention was, like, different stylistic choices. But, yeah, no, I'll be careful about story, plot beats, and talking about that. But, yeah. As with the first one, John Powell scored the film. Uh, and it ended up being released in July 23rd, 2004. Couldn't couldn't find a lot about the, the post-production of this film. So, actually, before I ask you guys about your first experience with this, I'm curious, uh, like, what is your experience with Paul Greengrass's films? I'll start with you, James. Uh, I'm actually not sure. I'd have to see his IMDb. He's a director whose name I'm more familiar than I am with the like his actual body of work. How about you, Sam? Um, really, before the Born series, I didn't have any any like really knowledge of like his style or anything. I didn't even I saw um, Captain Phillips not until after I saw the Born movies, and I haven't seen like his United ninety three. And I know he did a, I think Green Zone with Matt Damon. Another, yeah. I and I don't know. I couldn't tell you what what that's about. So I hadn't really had a lot of um, previous knowledge of his style. Um, but when I saw Captain Phillips, I really really enjoyed Captain Phillips and the kind of style and the kind of tension that he brought to that. Um, mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I didn't really have a lot of previous knowledge. So going into the Bourne movies, it was very interesting seeing his um, his his style, his aesthetic, the way that he shot things. Obviously, he brought in the whole shaky cam pandemic that um, a lot of action movies and directors have taken have taken and ran with. So, um, but yeah, yes, I, I'm I'm fairly familiar with him. I've, I've seen all of his films post supremacy, except for uh, July 22, the one about the. Uh, was that was it Sweden? The shootings, the mass shooting at the youth camp. Was that that was Sweden, right? Um, yes, yeah, uh, Norway. Yeah, yeah, Norway. Yeah, and like okay. somewhere in Norway. Yeah. So uh, moving into the, the, the question of um, you know your first viewing experience and your experience with the series, uh, we, we know what James was. So uh, let's go to you, Sam. Okay. Um, so my experience with with really the really the whole series is very mixed up i didn't watch these in order until about a year uh no i would say two years ago the first one that i actually saw was jason bourne in the theater oh wow uh, when it came out so yeah my first one was jason bourne i really didn't have a lot i had heard about the bourne movies like from my dad and maybe from some friends and i just that was kind of whenever i was developing my cinematic tastes and really what and starting to find different movies that i liked um so i saw jason bourne in the theater <laughs> was very confused um but i mean i enjoyed it for the most part um i've I rewatched it since and i don't really I don't, i'm not a huge fan of it now um but and then i and then i believe i saw legacy after that so i pretty much watched them almost in reverse order i watched jason bourne legacy and then and then i went back and re and watched identity supremacy and then ultimatum um really enjoyed identity it was very obviously very different from um the ones i previous previously seen which was uh legacy and uh jason Bourne. yeah it was um good. but i was i was very <laughs> i was very i was very I, I i think that the uh different stylistic choice that that greengrass brought was a kind of a breath of fresh air and it was very different and i enjoyed it um i actually like supremacy better than identity um i think that the style here works um while i like identity and kind of the the realistic kind of grounded approach um i think i liked uh, green grass's kind of visceral freneticness that he brought to the series um so and then so yeah i think i've seen supremacy maybe four times altogether um okay. and so yeah i've i've re, i've rewatched re it multiple times and this and this most recent re viewing really cemented it as one as one of my favorite action movies really all um, right but yeah um so i have actually a very distinct memory of my introduction to this film uh it was this would have been my first experience with the born series i remember my dad was watching it in his room and he called us in and he to show us some scenes and one scene was the scene uh at the airport where the CIA guy comes in and questions him and then Bourne, you know, takes him in the guard out in like two seconds. Um, I guess yeah. like back at this point, we just didn't see action like that. And it impressed my dad so much that he called, you know, us kids into like, this is, look how cool this is. And then he uh, later, yeah. later on called us in to watch the, uh, the Moscow car chase. Um, another just crazy mm -hmm. intense yes. action scene. So that was those like experiences that kind of burned into my brain. I don't remember when I actually saw it in full, but that I, I eventually did see it later. And then of course grew up with uh, this series. Um, this one was always my least favorite of the original trilogy, but it's kind of like your least favorite toy story. You know, one of the toy story <laughs> trilogy where like, they're all, they're all great kind of thing. Exactly. Um, 
All right, so moving into the main review, I we got to talk about, you know, Paul Greengrass's style. Uh and it's it's crazy to to go back and watch like the inception of what became pretty much the standard go-to style for many so many action films after this. Um Mm-hmm. And to it just to see it done right, and I, James might disagree, but I I think I, I, I would be I, I want to hear your opinion, James. Like after you've seen a couple more Greengrass films, and maybe like watch these these films a couple more times, um, you know, to get more acclimated to the style. I would be curious to see if if it grows on you or not, because. I mean, it, it definitely has for me. Cause I, I remember, you know, as we got you know into the late 2010s and people were just getting sick and tired of shaky cam, I kind of turned against supremacy in particular and just, oh my gosh, it's so ridiculous. So much shaky cam, so quick cutting. You should just, you know, pull the camera back, you know, hold it steady. Um, most of which I agree on. That's good advice for not, you know, 99% of filmmakers. Um, however, I, I completely kind of almost completely recanted all the bad stuff I said about Greengrass's style on this latest viewing, I think it's incredible. Um, so Lyman, he didn't do, it wasn't shaky cam. He did handheld, but with quick cuts. This is like true shaky cam. The camera is like constantly moving. And uh, here's a quote from Greengrass that I found, um, kind of, I, I thought really did a good job of explaining what what he's trying to do. He said, I think the story needs to feel like it's unfolding against a clock in a short time frame. And I and I think you need to feel like Bourne is leading you through this film. Um, it's the difference between knowing between a knowing and an unknowing camera. A knowing camera is telling the story because it knows where the action is going to be. And I think that's appropriate. I think what's appropriate for this film is that the camera tells the story because it's reacting to what's in front of it. And I found that fascinating. The idea of, of is the camera telling the story, which I, w- I would point to a director like Spielberg, who uses who uses the camera deliberately to tell the story. Like, it, it, you know, it, it's constantly anticipating movement and guiding your eye. Like that, like I, I use Spielberg, but there's plenty of directors who do this. But you know, that notion of being in the hands of a filmmaker who knows exactly where he wants you to look and how to make how to shape the frame and camera movement to make you look there, um, whereas. The, the notion of a reactive camera where the camera is an observer and it's like, it, it's only it, it's, it doesn't know what's going to happen. So it, it could quite easily miss, you know, and miss things. And it, it's, it's always just, it's trying to catch up with whatever's happening, which I think is, is vital to the tone and the feel of this film of being, being on the run, you know, never entirely knowing what's going on. And so it, it puts us in Bourne's headspace, or either Bourne's headspace or the headspace of the CIA operatives in their command center where they're constantly reacting to what Bourne's doing. It just gives you the feeling that you are not in control. This movie is not there's there's it feels out of control, I think, in a in a way that is makes this movie so intense. It's I never realized just how well this film moves. It 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 just mm-hmm. starts and there is there, there are no breaks. Like even quiet, the, the quote unquote quiet scenes usually have like uh, John Powell's score just like running like a pulse through it, pushing us, you know, into the next plot movie. It just it starts and it doesn't stop until that final scene, and it's it just leaves you breathless. And I think it's it's just it's like a work of art in that regard. But uh, um, I'll probably talk more about his style, but I'll I'll uh, 
shoot it over to you, Sam. Like, what what are your thoughts on it? Um, just like on the style overall. Um, so that it was interesting how you were talking about how you were talking about that quote from him. I had never heard that quote. How he was talking about you know um, how the, how the how the camera is kind of reacting to the story. And I think that and I and and I think that that is that's the reason why this movie works so well is um i think the, re- the that's the reason why it's so tense why it's so frenetic and why I, I i love it so much is because i i mean i watched it and i mean like it felt like half an hour passed and i was like wait a second this has been an hour and 50 minute movie are you serious i mean it just it moves so fast and it's so frenetic and i think that really from the very beginning once um carl urban's character um you know finds born and finds them and then you know he um he kills her i should just think from that moment forward um you know the story the story just like like you said just never lets up and i think that his his style and his frenetic and the whole shaky cam i think it works really 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 well for this particular movie i think because because of how tense and how like and, and you know the sense of being on the run and the sense of just constantly looking over your back and that he's constantly having to improvise and constantly having to you know change change what he's doing so i think that his style works very very well now you can argue that there are certain scenes which i'm sure we'll get to where i think that it, it gets mm-hmm. a little bit much um but i think that overall just for the for the tone and for the for just the way the movie flows and for the pacing of the movie, I think that it works really well. You know, like like you said, for that sense of just being on the run, you know, being in fear. And I think that it just gives that sense of tension, that sense of unease to the audience. Um, and that's what I felt, especially after this last viewing. So, so I, I want to get your thoughts, James, on this uh, on on his style. Then, then I'll go back and tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> so, uh, how, how do you feel about you know, the way he uses this you know, this style that he kind of not quite introduced, but popularized. So it's definitely not something I dislike wholesale. Uh, and there is a lot that I like about it. I probably like more about it than I dislike. Uh, and something that I do think it does well is like it, it works to keep that sense of pace that y'all are talking about. Like you said, this movie is under two hours, uh, but it's, it's, or it's almost two hours. I think it's like an hour, 50 minutes. And yeah, like you said, Sam, it's it feels like it's been hardly any time at all, and it's over. And I mean that in a, a good way. So he like there's a lot of cutting on action, you know, like we're cutting as the CIA operation is already in full swing. Like there are there people are already over each other's sold, uh, shoulders, looking over computer screens, mid conversation. When we cut to Bourne, he's he's already mid run, or he's like there's you know it's it's rare that that we cut to beginning the beginning of scenes. It happens, but a lot of the time it really is cutting to something mid-momentum. You know, we're, yeah. We're, yeah. we're always moving. And so I, I think that's something that's really cool to me. As, as for, like, the actual, like, feet on the ground camera, like, the, the way it looks, I like it a lot most of the time, but there are moments where I do feel like... I, I'm, I'm not really breaking any new ground and I almost feel lazy just because I, I feel like I'm regurgitating <laughs> a decade's worth of complaints about shaky cam. Uh, but there are, there, there are just some moments where it's like, I, I can't really see what's going on. He does it better than most in that you'll, he'll cut after if he cuts on an action, he'll cut 
as the action is initiated. So even if you don't get to see the follow through, you know what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. um, there, my only the, the moment where that becomes more hard to follow is is the fight scene with it's it's him and the other Treadstone operative. Uh, yeah, because they're they're both yeah. wearing super similar clothes, and there were a couple of times where like I, a guy wearing black threw a punch, and the other guy wearing black flew into a wall. But even as somebody who I feel like is being especially attentive to what's going on, like I'm not sure who just got hit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the only so that's but the thing is the the movie is actually for such a fast paced movie. It's way more chase like oriented as opposed to like straight up action. Uh, mm-hmm. And so this is all, like one of the few actual fist fights in the whole thing. And, and it's where it bothered me most. But I think his style is actually really well suited for the various chase scenes we get. Um, it lends itself to that breakneck kind of edge of your seat chase that we're going through where something that I really love. Uh, about these chase scenes is that they're very inventive. It's it's not just we're going yes. to shoot two people running or two people driving cars for like let, let's shoot five minutes of coverage and then we'll just say he got away. Like there's a really cool actual chase happening with different uh, like plans and actions and things like mm-hmm. going into the store, uh, getting the alcohol, treating the wound mid run, or like. The him falling onto the boat and then getting the thing to come up under the bridge, like th- re- hearing you read that quote really makes this like make it makes his style make even more sense. Where you really don't know if you can't anticipate what he's doing, even as he's running or like whenever you first see him with this big piece of metal, you're like, what? I don't understand what's going on. Um, but the camera is just following Bourne doing all of these things that you really you don't know where he's going so i think his style lends itself really well to, to the chase scenes it's just yeah th- that one fight scene and then the only other real issue i took with it um and maybe it's because i have a like it just has a negative connotation for me uh like shaky cam and like just big uh like dolly shots for almost mundane action (laughs) or like a like a quick uh, the camera is on one side of this of the the set and just like slides to the other really quick and it's like a a one second clip and i see that a lot in movies that are really trying to be super cool and Mm -hmm. and it it doesn't always work and so maybe that's just something i'm bringing onto this but like i think of carl urban opening his trunk and it's like he's opening his trunk to pull something out and there's like three or four cuts and it's spinning around him and stuff. I'm like, I <laughs> just, just, he opens his trunk. Let's move on. Kind of like it's <laughs> every, every single moment, every, everything is just super heightened and stylized. And I, I think it may just be preference, but there were moments where I mm-hmm. did find myself missing the quiet moments that identity allowed for, like stepping outside and looking down and seeing that like the ladder's gone, so we got to climb, and there are people there. Like there, there are just these moments where the the film stuff just kind of stops. You know, it, it just it <laughs> lets things play out in camera, uh, and like for these these smaller moments that I really liked a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I, I do want to talk a bit about kind of the differences between this film and, and uh, Identity. I, I described what... Color. Uh, yeah, I, I, just, <laughs> yes. I described what Lyman did kind of as like an anti-style. Like, it, it, it felt like it was constantly resisting you know, any kind of recognizable film, movie techniques and aesthetics. It, it, that, you know, that, that was also included in the color. The color grading was very drab very desaturated mm-hmm. um almost no stylization to that the camera work was very completely unadorned whereas whereas lyman i think did kind of an anti-style greengrass has a, a distinct i would say highly stylized visual style um something i do want to compliment is is the fact that like the identity is like you said it there is almost no real discernible style and this is incredibly stylish for like the fact that he can make that jump while still feeling like a cohesive natural sequel to the first one, I think is really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just visually, it looks so different. You have the saturation, the contrast is way higher, like really deep blacks and, you know, very, the colors kind of pop, especially in the beat, the opening sequence. Um, the, the lighting is harsher. Um, there's like the sickly green hue over everything. Um, it, you know, it, it, yeah. it looks very two thousands in that regard. Yeah, it it reminded me of of our episode over Mission Impossible Three when we're just kind of we were nostalgic over all of those like sickly green hues and those like the, the blue tints and the teals and every like the oh, teals the and oranges of this era. JJ Abrams and his blue, oh, it's so good. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um. This, there's some scenes in this where I'm like, man, you've got like a massive light that is inches out of frame, just like blasting these guys. <laughs> And I think there is a rhythm to the way Greengrass edits, and it's. Inc- I think that that opening, the opening scene where Pamela Landy's mission is going wrong, when she's trying to buy the the information, and Kirill uh, kills everyone. Just the way he builds and edits through that sequence, I think, is kind of incredible. Where he'll have like a mid shot, set you know, setting up the geography. Then a, cl- a close up on a movement and an action. Then a close up on a you know a necessary piece of information, be like a, a gun or a picture on a you know on the information. A close up you know cu- close up to Pamela Landy's face. Then a, you know shot back to another mid shot. It's he cycles through the shots in a way that we always know every bit of pertinent information, and it, it's it's kind of kind of astonishing. You know, having seen this film so many times, every, every time I watch, I'm kind of just impressed about. The way he is able to, get, with, you know, with a bunch of you know one second, half second cuts and a constantly moving camera, he tells us you know you need to know this bit of information, this bit of information, and this bit of information, and they all come together in an action, and then he it's just this repeating cycle of, you know, close up, close up, mid, you know, close up on the face, reaction. Also, the sound design, the way he uses sound design, I think, is so important. Where I feel this is where a lot of other shade cam films fail is where they don't have very very distinct sound design, whereas he I think especially like in that in that fight scene without Martin Sokas, every single even if we can't see the punch we hear the punch we hear the grunt behind it we mm-hmm. hear the you know the cry of pain, it's it, it there it, it's perfectly punctuated so even if we don't even if the camera which is like desperately trying to follow the action misses something we hear it so we register the information of that happened therefore this consequence and the whole film is just that cause and effect even though he says the camera is just an observer reacting he there's still the way he he constantly you know seeds in the close-ups of necessary information along with a 
corresponding sound, he's setting setting us up to understand the things that even if it's difficult to follow, we all we know what is happening at all times. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the sign of you when you have like a, a true master at the forum rather than someone who's like, oh, let's be realistic. So just move the camera around and we'll cut a couple times. Yeah, I actually wanted to quickly comment on on the uh, sound um, in one particular scene. Um, and I noticed the same things, uh, the same things that gave with the, like the sound design and how he uses that to kind of tell the story. I think that the uh, in regards to like the fight scene is a good example. Um, not having a score and not having music, yeah. I think really, really, really benefited this this go around. Um, I really, I really love the one on one fight scene. I think arguably, which I'm sure we'll get to that this scene later. Um, I think I maybe may like the first fight fight in the first movie a little bit better just because of the less cuts. <laughs> <laughs> but I think though that the the lack of music in this fight scene in Supremacy really just elevates the brutality of it into the into the realism. And I think that that was something that was not something that you would see in a in a bunch of you know fist fights in movies. You, you know you would get like the high intensity action music, or you'd have the Matrix, and you have you know you'd have the bombastic score playing in the background. And I think that bringing that level of realism, realism and brutality really elevated. Um, so yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Really I feel cool. like even though Identity was super grounded and quote unquote realistic, there was still a real cool factor to that action. I yes, feel like yes. aside from rolling up a magazine and swatting someone in the face with it, there is absolutely nothing <laughs> cool about this fight scene. No, no, no. It is it's no. disturbing. It's two it men is. beating the hell out of each other, and and, and just like this when he, when he's strangling him at the end, and he's like trying to you know he's grabbing his face and he's trying to get his hand off his face. It's it's just you just feel kind of icky watching it. And, and the, yeah, exactly. And this, the, 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 the no score where it's just the sounds of blows and grunts. It's just two men trying really hard to kill the other guy and not die. Yeah. And it's just as I mean, horrible you know, as that sounds. I mean, I mean, you know, like take scenes like the Dark Knight Rises with Batman and Bane, their first mm-hmm. fight scene. I mean, there's 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 plenty of, of fight scenes in film that and there's and it's been proven time and time again that that i mean not every time it obviously doesn't work every time but i think that if you're going for that very grounded realistic gritty approach to your action i when you know and as long as it goes along with the tone of the movie i think that that can really benefit you depending upon what movie you're making obviously like movies like i think something like maybe the matrix i think that music would benefit that or something or just or or mission impossible you know or mission impossible with like a a gunfight or something yeah or I think that it, you know, music would benefit that. But I think that, you know, as long as it goes along with your tone of your movie, I think that it can really benefit it. Yeah, because we have years and years of of action films using music, you know, like that's that's yes. what we expect. So to shoot a fight scene like this and pull out all of the music is is a statement, you know, like it's it's asking to be. Like, it's asking you to ask, like, or to feel, you know, why is there no music? Because it's, yeah. you know, trying to evoke a different reaction to it. Like what Gabe said, like, it's, there with the first one, it felt like the fight scenes had exclamation point moments. Where it's like, here's a, here's a cool move. And even though the camera doesn't, like, it, it's, it's not trying to highlight it because it is so 
you know, like kind of bare bones as in terms of its style. It's also certainly not trying to hide from it. He made sure that he put the camera there and you got that. And so there is some sort of cinematic oh, yeah. acknowledgement of something cool just happened and we caught it. And because the his fight scene here is cutting on action so much, like you feel like there, there are moments where it feels like they're reaching out for what would be kind of that exclamation point moment in a fight scene where it's like, look, look how cool that thing was. But we're cutting at it. And so we just kind of, we hear the impact. We kind of see an impact but before we can even react to it and fist pump, like something else is happening. And it's like, it's, it's so immediate and fast paced and visceral. And because it doesn't really pull any punches and because it, the movie is not tell it like cinematically telling you like, ah, oh, yeah, that thing that you saw was awesome. All you're left with is like a bunch of arms flailing and like knuckles bash, like the sound of <laughs> knuckles bashing. So you don't really get the reprieve of like, aha, I'm, I'm loving all of this. It's like, Ooh, this all sounds very painful. Yeah, and one and one thing Jay, I just wanted to quickly add I kind of add on to that is you mentioned how in the first how in the first movie, you know, you have those kind of exclamation exclamation points in the action, you know, like in the first movie whenever he takes the pen and, and stabs it in the guy's hand and it's like, "Whoa, that looked really painful." Or whenever he does like he like gets hit to the ground, and he kicks him and he like does one of those like kick flips or whatever and kicks himself up and it's like, "Wow, that was really cool." And you have kind of the those moments even in this fight scene, but because of the fast, the fastness and because of the cutting on the action, you know, he picks up the newspaper, but it's not like, I don't know. I don't know. It's not like the first movie where, you know, it's like he grabs the pen, he stabs the guy. Woohoo. Great. And this one, he kind of just, you know, grabs the newspaper, wads it up and then just starts slapping. There's no dual wielding guns with one upside down. Yeah, exactly. 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 And and I think that's part of just what Bourne is. The, The thing that makes him unique, I feel like is that every time he, pauses to do something he's almost instantly on the next step because he he has a plan whatever he's doing he has a plan that we don't entirely know so like after that fight where he goes and you know and and setting up the gas you know to blow up all that happens in like you know a couple seconds and it's just like bang bang bang. he's always just executing steps on his plan so the fact that you know, it not giving us time to register entirely, or we register what happened, but not giving us time to 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 revel in what just happened is part of yeah. I think why him is like is just showing just how incredibly efficient this man is, and so like this fight scene along with Liam Neeson climbing a fence in Taken Three are like the two primary examples I see used in like so many video essays. You know why Shaky Cam is bad, and I think they're right. I think it does get out of hand. Like there there are scenes where, as you said, it's just Two men, like a close-up of like the torsos of two men in black suits grappling. It's just like I, I, I don't know what I'm seeing, and I think that's a problem because I think I, I like in, because that's not an issue in most of the film. Um, but I think those the, like those video essays, you know, bless their hearts, are kind of missing the point, and that you know, the, the you, you, this is not supposed to be cool. This is supposed to be disturbing, and and, and I think we see yes. that in, in Bourne's reaction, like he didn't want to kill this guy. He just wanted to get the information yeah. and leave, and he was forced to kill him. And we have a quiet moment, and one of those quiet, rare, very rare quiet moments where he goes into the like the subway bathroom and is like washing his hands and looking in the mirror, like this is this is not who I wanted to be. I don't want to be killing people, and it's just like th- that self loathing that we get afterwards. I think. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think that scene. Um, 
you know, with, with how disturbing that fight scene that, that fight scene is, and how it, how it's presented in in the way of not being cool. I think that just reflects on how of of just his journey in the movie of how disturbed he is, of how he keeps having the constant flashbacks, and how he keeps getting constantly reminded of what he's done in the past. And I think that just reflects that whole scene and how that was shot and how it turned out. I think that just reflects his character, the story, what he's his internal struggle with who he is and what he's trying to and and trying to find out of who he's um of what he's done in the past and like how to move forward and moving kind of into the storytelling it's fascinating just how fast this movie moves like there is no prologue or preamble where we, where we get to spend some time with you know jason and marie and maybe getting to know pamela landy and her team like Greengrass just drops us right into the beginning. If you haven't seen The Born Identity, too bad because we're doing this. And like within five minutes, the main plot is instigated. You know, we we have the mission with uh, you know Pamela Landy's mission that goes south, and now they're after Born, and and now you know Kirill's showing up. Like there's no there's no time to breathe even at the beginning. We're just instantly into the story. And I think normally that would be really kind of frustrating and irritating and feel like, you know, come on, take a break. But it, it works here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, I guess you get the, you know, the same sense of being, you know, being born where you just, you don't, there's no rest. You know, it's always going to come, uh, come back to haunt you. Yeah. And then having, having, um, I, I cannot remember, um, what is the, uh, the uh, chick's name again from the very, from the first movie? I cannot remember the Marie. name. Marie. Her, her name. Marie. Um, yeah, just I, I, I never and and rewatch and and I was just gonna add on to what what you were saying like like in the beginning in the movie kind of the, how they kickstarted the plot and everything. I after rewatching this, I was just I was really surprised and I forgot how quickly she dies and how like just fast it happens because she was such a huge part of the move the first movie and then she just I mean we have like what three scenes with her and then she just dies mm-hmm. which again i think that goes back to the whole to the whole fast pacedness of just the 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 paranoia of being on the run but um i mean even though that she died quickly i still think it works in the movie yeah i still think that that ha- that having her like kickstart the plot and having him you know he doesn't have any he doesn't have family he doesn't have i mean that that was his only connection his, his only really connection to real life so now he's just on the run trying to find out who he really is, but um, yeah, I just wanted to comment on that. Yeah, and the way Greengrass does exposition is so—I find it so cool. Where he—he he pretty much he doesn't do exposition. Like there are so few scenes of people just sitting around. Well, Jason Bourne, you know, back in the 1980s, we did this, and it's there's none of that. Like his exposition scenes are someone flipping through a you know a couple papers, and we get like five close-ups of a word, a picture, a sound. And and you know another picture, and that, you know, it takes you know twenty seconds, and that's our exposition. Like he he doesn't he there's no spoon feeding. Like the 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 uh, internet scenes where he goes to the internet cafe and just kind of cycles through, and it, it's all in Russian or Ger- it's all in German. I think it's it's Berlin, right? Yeah, Ber- it's all in German, and he's just relying on a couple words that look similar in English and German. Yeah, and you're flashing <laughs> so like, on. Wow, that's mm-hmm. and Man, it's like, you're. You're putting a lot of it's, stock in the audience right now. I love that. Yeah, it's 30 seconds of just scrolling through German newspaper clippings, and yet the information that he's able to get across, and the the, the notion of you know born just absorbing this information and going on in his next step, it's just it's so it's so unique. I think, and I really appreciated this last time. 
Yeah. Yeah, this is I really like the way he shoots the uh like the government side of things. And I, like I really liked it. We talked a, a lot about it in our Born Identity episode in that I love that it's just like there's so many meetings of a bunch of people who all have their own little things going on and everybody like there's kind of this understanding that everybody's probably lying to each other like never heard of it like BS we all know every like there's it's like I love how they're they shoot it and that this is able to function people show up lie about things <laughs> wipe their hands and call it a day and move on and uh you know cuz in the <laughs> first one we're just kind of moving from all of these little derelict rinky-dink offices and everybody has their own little corner that they go and they handle their stuff and then in here there isn't quite that much like a here's just a an unassuming office like because the the lighting feels so much more stylized yeah, they're, like, they're oh, no longer is... in a broom closet and they have a yeah. window they're uh, up. <laughs> but there still is that sense of like it's a bunch of people who have their own things going on and, and you know people have kind of bigger movie personalities but nobody's like this caricature, everybody's like, it's like, you know, shady government agent number one through seven. You know, everybody's showing up here and like, okay, well, you <laughs> you need to come over here and do this, and everybody needs like, it's, I don't know, it it feels, it, it's it like, I don't believe that this is how it would operate in real life, but mm-hmm. the movie does a great job of convincing me that this is how it operates. You know, like it's, it doesn't, it <laughs> yeah. feels anti-cinematic in that it's just a bunch of people talking nobody's bothering catching anybody else up to date everybody's just saying a bunch of things and it's kind of up to us to follow along and like i i really like that aspect of it those first few sequences at the cia i think are with uh, thomas arana uh you know landy superior uh he's the guy from gladiator that's how i know him um but those sequences where like, Landy comes in, she's kind of the underdog trying to prove her point, and you have uh, Abbott over there just kind of snarky and just casting doubt and being super condescending, and you know, and uh, you know, Ar- uh, Arana is he? I think what's his name? I think he's a uh, Marshall. I think it's Mar- uh, I think it's Marshall. Um, He's like super. He's not not the you know the the most uh, encouraging boss, and he's like super snippy. Like so, the, these sequences where she's having to you know present her case are like combat. But I love how she, she like she just is having none of it and cuts through all of it, just like overloading them with all with data. And it, it's so quick paced, and this is where Gilroy really shines. I think Gilroy is you know that that is where he's most interested. Is, you know the, the politics. If you look at his other films. There's like the inner politics of bureaucracy and it, within the within the espionage realm, um, and it's it's just so fun to watch. It, it, even other other scenes where like where they're they're doing, they're searching for Bourne, and you have you know ten different guys at computers, each one you know, oh I have a picture here, and and, and just you know he's at this address. And everyone is just shouting, and there's just information overload, but it's it's so. But not not in a way that's frustrating. In a way that I find I just exhilarating the way he's able to cycle through so much, you know, just raw data through all these different people. Um, I just you know, it's, it's so much fun to watch. And, and something I noticed, I, I like the way I think Green, they did a good job of this in the first film. Like they hire unique faces. Like yeah. there are there. It's not just you know they, they didn't just cycle through you know book. Oh, you know, these people look pretty and Hollywoodish. Like you have you know, Martin Sokas. He's a, he's a big actor, but he you know, he has a unique face. Um, 
the corrupt Russian businessman that hires Kirill, uh, Thomas Arana, uh, or, uh, you know, Tom Gallup as Landy's right, right hand man, or, you know, or even like Nevins, the guy in Naples, like they're all, they, they're not like, they're just people with just a distinctive look about them. So they, you, know, they, you, you, you see them and you remember that face. Whereas I think like a lot of movies make the mistake of just casting just very nice looking Hollywood people and they could they all kind of blend together. Um, it goes like just casting a, a face can just go a long way to like make like you connect to that person in a weird way just because they look unique. That's, I mean, that's mm-hmm. what was such a strength to me about the dynamic of Chris Cooper and Brian Cox, you know, like they they're very immediately recognizable, even like their voices like they, I, you, mm-hmm. I couldn't hear a clip of either of them talking and not immediately like, oh, that's that's Cooper or that's Cox. And but yeah, you can even i mean even the extras in like you know with the first one like you're not gonna forget uh walton goggins face you know like all of these people like oh, I, I yeah I, I recognize that although michelle monaghan has a very pretty hollywood face yes mm-hmm. and she has seven seconds <laughs> uh so i, I want to talk about Bourne's journey here and one thing i never realized before is that you know, the, you know, the the ending of Identity is very idealized. You know, he he goes, he tells Chris Cooper what what for, you know, flips off the CIA and goes to wherever Marie is, and they kiss, and it's it's, you know, the future is bright. And what I like about this film is like is it's essentially saying no, of course not. You know, this guy you know, killed dozens of people and knows and or you know he doesn't remember anything, but the government doesn't entirely trust that. You know, he knows so many secrets. Um, even though he doesn't, um, that they want to keep hidden. So, like, his sins, even if he doesn't remember who he was, he was a bad person, or at least did very bad things, and you can't just leave that behind. And I, ne- I never made the connection before that. It always felt like, oh, you know, he was fine, it was all good, and then the CIA just came back and you know, ruined it all. But watching this last time, I realized, you know, no, he... You know, he committed the original sins that are coming back to haunt him. You know, he's the one, you know, who killed, you know, the Russian, uh, the Russian politician and his wife. And, you know, that is, that's the crime that Cox is now trying to cover up. So it's, it's his own sins are coming back and disturbing, you know, his, his, his newfound peace. And so when Marie is killed, he goes out on a quest for vengeance. Like he's, he's done. He is going to burn it to the ground and, and, you know, destroy anything in his way. And by the end, you know, he comes to realize like, no, I, I did this. I did these things. And that's why it's coming back to, you know, haunt me. And, and the, the, it kind of silently shifts from a, you know, a quest for vengeance into this quest for redemption, where instead of going and massacring Abbott, which, you know, we would have all cheered for, he goes and apologizes to the you know the, the daughter of the people he killed, and it's kind of all it's, you know he's you know he's not going to go down without a fight, but I feel like he's lost some of that you know, self righteousness. You know he he is owning the fact that you know he did these things, and that's why this is happening. That's that's why you know Marie died, not because he, you know not just because he was you know some innocent bystander, but because the things he did are coming back at, coming back for him, and I like the way. You know, it, it starts with revenge and ends with you know a search for redemption, instead of just being you know a, a, a satisfying revenge journey. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like that a lot too. I, my only uh, thing with that is I I almost wish that they pushed that even more. Uh, mm-hmm. Like we've got really good moments. You know, whenever he's yeah, I, in, I, I didn't even know I've watched this all my life. And I didn't even notice it until this last viewing. Yeah, and for me, like I'm thinking like a, a moment that I like, or, or these two moments that f- feel very connected. Um, is you know the initial chase when they're on the run from Carl Urban. And he's completely in, you know, reaction mode. You know, he knows what he has to do. He's giving, he's shouting uh, Marie orders and this and that. And he's like, I've got to do this, blah, blah, blah. And, and she says, it, you know, she's saying, you know, there is a choice. You know, you have a choice in front of you. And then, you know, like the, the, the movie, whenever he's got the gun on Abbott, you know, he explicitly says, you know, Marie wouldn't want me to. But even before that, whenever Abbott's like agging him on, I I almost wish we didn't even have the line about him saying like Marie wouldn't want me to because my mind immediately recalls, you know, their last conversation before she's killed. You know, you 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 feel the tension in that moment. So whatever he wouldn't you would know why. Um and th- like those that ended up being a really interesting idea is like having to come to terms with how to feel about yourself knowing what you're capable of. And that's like the thing that I wish was in it a little bit more is him being scared of himself, you know, like, because like he has to deal with the fact that it's not like this is another lifetime. This is still me. This is my same body is my same brain. I was capable of killing these people. I did it. And I, I wanted maybe a little bit more of of that like kind of tortured aspect of it of like mm. what wh- you know i was a monster i'm trying to find that rede- like you said i'm seeking this redemption but i feel like seeking redemption feels better especially towards the viewer whenever it feels more maybe not more earned but like what we're seeking redemption from feels like a bigger part of the story you know yeah. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think that's where maybe some of it, you know had had green grass found maybe just a couple moments to interrupt the momentum for a few moments of like just quiet reflection. Uh, but uh, speaking of one of the, a quiet a, a, one of the rare quiet moments, I love how Marie's death is handled. Oh my gosh, that is hot. That suit imagery. That, yeah, the, the super intense chasing, which is like beautifully handled, and then we we feel like we're out of it, you know. And he, they're having the discussion, like you know, you have a choice; you don't have to do this. And at that moment where she's trying to offer you know <laughs> a little bit of goodness into the world, and she's like, and she's dead, and they're into the water, and then it's it's so weird; it's like almost surreal. It mm-hmm. kind of turns in the, the camera; you know, the camera stops shaking. It's like these smooth gliding movements through the water, and the whole thing is bathed in this you know, like glowing green light and it's you know, the music the sounds are all I mean it's just a really powerful sequence as you know this the, the one good thing in his life is is just, you're destroyed and it's like it's this really it's it's almost like a, a surreal almost a dream sequence that feels almost out of place um but uh, really powerful nonetheless it, it's yeah. for for different moments in the film i I had an issue with the way they 
they used uh like darkness in it there there were moments like whenever the scenes take place at night here i don't know how much of it is on the film and how much of it is like i usually don't run into this trouble on my tv but scenes at night are pretty hard to see um hmm. like some of the black just be your are, tv Maybe it it felt like like their conversation in the the first like ten minutes when they're outside at night, it felt. Oh yeah, no, I would I would agree with you on that. Yeah, that was a little even for my TV. That was a little bit dark. Yeah, like there are moments where like I I see the outlines of faces and I can like make out a little bit of color, but so much of it is just drenched in black. Uh, but a moment where that really worked for me was the scene because like everything that we want any bit of light on, we see. And we, like the way the blo- the body just like floats off back into into this just black void is so like like that image is gonna stick with me. It it feels like that's one of those moments where you're like you needed you needed film to present something like this. Like this is to me that could go on like a highlight reel of like incredible images achieved in a, in a film. Yeah, and the Jason the character of Jason Bourne is, is so. Like it's interesting in the first one we talked about a lot about how kind of when he wasn't you know beating people up how just kind of innocent and boyish he had this like really awkward grin like he there was there's a real just innocent dorkiness about him and in this film after you know after basically at what after a Kirill shows up you know he turns into this you know focused angry man. And he stays that way. It, it, like if you look, you took a picture of him with his like super furrowed brow, just his you know grumpy face in supremacy, transposed you know one of his awkward grins in identity. You would think like the guy's probably 10, 15 years older, and you know there's only like three years between the film. Like he feels like everything good about you know that was in him is gone. Like he is just angry. And he is coming for you. He is going to kill you because you you messed up. And it's so it's it's really dark when you think about just how how little of you know what light how little of the light that was in him in the first film remains. You know after they took after they killed Marie, um, it's just a really mm-hmm. really impressive performance. Just how focused and fierce he is. I read a bit of trivia. I'm not sure how accurate it is. I guess you'd have to rewatch it. But somebody said that outside of seeing him in pictures, he never smiles once in the whole movie. Like, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. That's probably true. (laughs) Also, he barely speaks. Yes. After his conversations with Marie and and there's the one big, big conversation with Nikki, like he probably says, you know, only a couple dozen lines in you know, 90% of the runtime of this film. Oh, why? Yeah, That's I crazy. I not think about that either. <laughs> it's, so like it's, I, it's, it's all visual storytelling. He doesn't have to say anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I understand. Like, it's just it his was, performance in the camera. Like the very end when he's talking to uh, Landy on the phone call, I was like, it. it's weird. This, I don't feel like this voice has been super present. And I was thinking about that. It, it's, it's hard for me to... You you don't miss it. It's like the storytelling is so tight that you don't really notice that you're following all but silent protagonists. Yes, yeah. and I I think that's both incredibly effective and like a strength. But uh, I think 
part of what what made me miss identity though and maybe it's just because i I really liked feeling bad for like puppy dog i matt damon (laughs) but i i did miss the the person that you like that the person that he's able to you know converse with uh because he is just it's i mean it's mission mode start to finish and like i can't count that as a knock against this because we we had that for a movie and this is doing something like in retrospect is a pretty bold decision and i think it works because of the fact that you don't realize it even happened until you think about it mm-hmm. um yeah but there were times where you know just because i like matt damon and this character i'm like oh, just give him a nice person to have a little chat with <laughs> i mean the only nice person he meets he almost murders so true true yeah also this is they have, just they a have random a chat. <laughs> Aside, I really love the actor playing the other Treadstone agent. Uh, Martin Sokas? Yes. I Oh, ha- have either of you seen The Equalizer? Yes. Yes. Nope. He is one of my all-time favorite movie villains, but uh, carry on. Well, I mean... That's right. He was in that. I forgot he, about that. Yes, he was. I haven't seen that movie in a, few, in a few years, but yes, he was very good in that. I need to finally see both of those. Um but he's, he's barely in this, but his performance like genuinely left an impression on me, especially like his line where he's like, I'm sorry, I thought you were here to kill me. And like, it's, it's so effective. It is like, it immediately, like you completely believe why Bourne totally lets his guard down, you know, like it, he, fe- he just feels so real. I, for whatever reason, that line and their their little interaction there really stayed with me. I'm like I, this guy is good, <laughs> you know. Like he has a really unique air about him. It felt a little light. Like he's like so confident and genial, but also you can see him con- calculate. Like there's a real like, sociopathic quality. See, about See, I didn't see any of that, which means I I just. I have to learn to not trust any of the. If I ever come across <laughs> any sort of former, you know, assassin, I I can't let myself buy into any of it. Because when he said that, I'm like, oh man, I hope this guy doesn't die. He seems kind of cool. James, that's how you get killed. Then okay. he died. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> yeah. Um. So moving on to the CIA characters. Just how great of an addition to this series is Pamela Landy, you know, Joan Allen. Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh. I think a similar character would be a, a um a Holly Hunter in Batman v Superman. Ah, yes. This kind of a a for like a good a, a good honorable character you feel like you can trust, but also just absolutely ferocious <laughs> at the same yeah. time. To, she was my like my favorite kind of government character. Well, I don't know. I really love my evil government character. Like my evil Star Wars bureaucrats might be my favorite government kind of character. <laughs> uh, but like the person who's it, it like they they feel good and righteous, but they're not like doe eyed and naive either. You know, like she's fully aware of the system. She's fully aware of the shadiness of it all. And she knows how to navigate it. She knows how to operate within this environment while maintaining that shred of like, not not even shred, like she's able to maintain that air of like, we are genuinely trying to get to what is right. We are genuinely, genuinely trying to be virtuous 
while not being like the like oh, I I had no you know whenever whenever she comes across uh all of the the horror of what Treadstone would be you know she does she's she's not the kind of person even though I love the character she's not Emily Blunt from Sicario who is just mm. completely oblivious to the horrible nature of what's going on she's aware of it and is able to wade through those waters without really like compromising herself. I don't know. It's it's a cool character to me. Mm-hmm. Like she do, she doesn't waste any time on like moral outrage. Like she she takes she takes the corruption for granted and just tries to work around it or just barge right through it. Like the board meetings where like she's pretty much always like for the first half like the lowest person on the totem pole. You're tr- constantly presenting your case against these you know very intimidating or downright aggressive personalities. But she, but she's able to match you know, their fast hit, you know, their, the fast talking snark, and you know with this very just brutal, no nonsense comebacks every step of the way. She she knows what she's about. She knows why she's here, and she's able you know to to force the point at every junction, whether or not the other person wants you know is willing to budge. Um, I just love the, the kind of the, the 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 boardroom conflicts. And just the way she kind of, she just is able to command the room she's in mm-hmm. at any given moment <laughs> when she's talking to the poor guy in Naples. You know, I, I'm getting on a plane to Berlin in you know 45 minutes, which means you're gonna call me in 30. <laughs> and when I ask you where we stand, I better be impressed. And like she just go and the way how, how she talks so freaking fast mm-hmm. and the dialogue is complex. It's insane. Kind of goes like kind of kind of goes along with the kind of the tone and the pace of the movie as well i think she's a very very effective leading woman i i I really enjoyed her and i think um well actually no i won't say that that might be a spoiler for ultimatum so i'll keep my mouth shut on that one um Mm -hmm. but but um but yeah no i agree i enjoyed all the i enjoyed all the cia the uh cia characters um I forgot how little Julia Stiles is in this movie, how Nikki's character is. I, I, for some reason, remembered her being in it a lot more. But um, for the scenes that she's in, she's very, she's very, very good. Especially that, especially the scene when Bourne, you know, um, takes her from the crowd and, and takes her like to the subway or whatever and takes her into that room. That scene is brutal. Oh and just the way that she's, you know, whimpering and then the Bourne is just completely just brutal towards her and and really good acting on her part she kind of disappears from the movie after she kind of disappears from the movie after that um which i did which i don't know i don't i don't i don't really know why i kind of wish that she was in it at least a little bit more it would have been nice to get a scene afterwards kind of reckoning with what just happened. exactly yeah um james were you about to say something it was just a, the, the note i made during that scene was i i don't like seeing people be mean to nikki <laughs> No, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Her up against a wall, like, it's it, like genuinely, you believe that she is com- in complete fear of her life. Yes, uh, and, and you you totally believe why she got the job in the first place because she does. She can pass off as just like this college age. Like I, I'm just here trying to learn. Like there is a level of unassuming innocence about her, and so whenever she is like just like being yanked around and screamed at like that. You're like, no, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also it, it doesn't feel in a way that's demeaning to her. Like, oh, she's, you know, she sh- shouldn't ever be like, she comes across as, you know, a very intelligent, competent person, oh, yeah. maybe for a job behind a desk. I mean, like, it's like she's completely out of her depth, but not in a way that feels like, that feels like it's, 
it's demeaning to her. Yeah. Like she she is highly competent at her job, but she's just this is not this is not her world. Yeah. Um. It's so like when she like it's, I feel so bad for the like she she you know, she's has this this job that she's doing she's good at it but born just keeps kind of sweeping into her life and destroying everything burning down her you know her paris safe house and now she's you know, she's re, you know she's in uh holland or something and now she's swept back up into the investigation because she's the leading authority on born um and it's interesting she's kind of like standing around like she doesn't know what where to be and what to do with herself but also she's able to constantly throw in pertinent information about Bourne because she she's the authority on Bourne whereas you know, and that's what she knows where she she doesn't know what to do anywhere else it's like it's a really interesting dynamic to watch her in and uh yeah she's really good and that's that scene is in crazy um which is another scene where you see her competence where she's like beyond terrified and, and crying but also cycling through all this exposition to born and like you know, very sharp precise delivery while also like terrified and crying it's really cool to watch um just from like an acting perspective and is that point where you're like oh my gosh i don't even like born i don't even know if i like born exactly anymore. he kind of comes across as like the, the villain type almost yeah it is it's truly terrifying i, I think he spends all his rage you know you know he had a life he had you know this wonderful woman and you know she was you know brutally murdered all this was taken from him and he kind of is just pouring all that rage you know that that line you're like you effing people he shoves her onto the ground like he's just so sick of everything the way he's been used Mm -hmm. or at least you know in in his mind he was used um we find out later he was more he had more agency than he thought yeah um and he's just like pouring all out of this you know, poor girl who's just the person who who symbolizes the you know, the system that wronged him. Yeah, uh, one of my one of my, one of my favorite I think one of my favorite quotes out of the whole movie is actually from Nikki when they're she's having a conversation with uh with Pam and just a, some of the FBI agents when she first is brought in and she's like it's not a mistake they don't make mistakes they don't do random there's always an objective always a target and then Pam. It's like objectives and targets always come from us. Who's giving them to him? Who's giving them to him now? And she's like, "Scary version." He is, and I'm like, "Ooh," <laughs> kind of puts a chill down your spine. That that's yeah. A ve- so yeah. She 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 just delivered some really cool lines. Gives some really give us gives us some really good acting chops and um good good character. I, I enjoy her. I always kind of chuckle at the line. You're like, "Are we talking about you know?" What are you talking about? Are you talking kill- bringing him in or killing Born? We're talking about killing yeah. Born. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to Ward Abbott, played by the great Brian Cox. I lo- I really liked him in Identity. I freaking love him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he is so condescending, at, 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 like stonewalling Pamela at every single step of the way. Yeah, like the way he's able to play, like I'm being the rational one, the voice of reason. Sometimes even the conscience on the team by you know, always try, trying to be reasonable, but also you realize that you know he's a, he's the corrupt guy just trying to hide everything. Like those scenes, and just the endless self righteousness he carries about with him. Um, you know, I've given thirty years and two marriages to this agency. I've shoveled shit in four continents. I'm due to retire next year. If you, if you think I'm going to sit here and let you dangle me with this, you can go to hell and Marshall too. Like he's so like he can completely match, um, 
uh, Landy's ferocity, but with you kind of this knowledge that he's safe in his position and just the way he gets like increasingly sweaty and disheveled as things just slowly go wrong towards the end. And, but just that, that the, the, I think the real highlight for him is that sequence before they send uh, Nikki out into the, into, into the crowd to meet. Oh, Bourne, some good lines on that where mm-hmm. everything he says is reasonable. Like he is, he comes across as the like he he obviously he wants Bourne dead because he he knows he knows things he shouldn't know, but it's always couched in this very reasonable. You know, we're talking about the next next dead body. It could be Nikki. It will be somebody. Um, and oh, just the way Gilroy's dialogue is so freaking good. Um, there's there's a line. Um, you know, he knows something. He know where uh, panel says, you know, he knows something. He knows that you're after him, and in, in the interest of self-preservation, you might want to start there. Uh, <laughs> or his his final line after they have he takes her into the other room and essentially trying to convince her to do snipers. And there's the line. Uh, where is it? You talk about this stuff like you read it in a book. Oh yeah, you talk about the stuff like you read it in a book. And he just kind of walks out. It's, that that line is it's so, so freaking good. Uh, yeah, and he just delivers this, he, the way he delivers the dialogue, uh, like every single, <laughs> you're in a big puddle of shit, Pamela, and you don't have the shoes for it. <laughs> every single line is just beautiful. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, love I, I just put in mind, I was like, I love watching, uh, Abbott sweat at this. Like, I, <laughs> I love, like you said, as it, as it goes on and things continue to be revealed, I love that he starts off the abbot of the first one and he slowly becomes like the disheveled scared out of his mind Conklin by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. One, one line that I, one line that I really like from him is, uh, this is whenever he, him, Jay, um, uh, Bourne is finally confronting him and they're having that conversation and, and, you know, Bourne is like, you killed Marie. And he's like, and he, and he kind of gives that, no, you killed Marie. The moment you got in the car, you could, the moment you got in her car, the moment you entered her life, she was dead. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy, yeah. this guy really means business. <laughs> really great really line, but not what you say to the guy holding a gun on you. No, exa- exactly. Yeah. Good line. Trying to be well, intimidated. Uh, he, but He's already decided that he, he knows he's going to die at that point. Like he's shocked yeah, that yeah, Bourne yeah. doesn't kill him. And like that endless self-righteousness, I, f- I find like... I don't know why I find like corrupt yet self-righteous bureaucrats fascinating. Um, that, you know, he I'm dies calling himself the Patriot. I'm like, yeah, you're, and you're d- a very and interesting character. See. Unlucky. Collateral damage. And like, his final line is, I'm not sorry. It's, <laughs> it's like he carries like, you know, I did what I had to do kind of thing to the grave. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that we, we, we get that reveal and you know, Abbott and his suicide before the third act even yeah. begins, it kind of revealing that this movie wasn't real, wasn't truly about mm-hmm. revenge. Like we still got the other act of you know, where Bourne goes for his, goes in you know, to try and get his redemption. Question: When Pamela went to his hotel room when she was walking, did she know he was corrupt and involved? I, I think yeah. she had an idea. I don't think she was. Whenever the gun is pulled out, it feels like she had the question she asked yeah. primed. Yeah, because okay. didn't he? Whenever I can't exactly remember what he said, but as soon as she walked in and pointed the gun, obviously her facials changed, and she said, "He said something," but I can't remember what the line was. And she's like, "Well, what do we do?" Now? Had something to do. 
Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and he, and he, and he said, and she says, well, what do we do now? I think that's also when she realizes the full extent of what's going on because he kind of explains it to her and then she asks, what, what do we do? But I can't remember what he told her though. I think one of the first things she says though is like maybe even her first line, she, she asks about, uh, oh, the, the guy he killed. Like it, Danny Zorn. Yeah, like it, it felt. Oh, 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 oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it felt like as soon as she saw the gun, because you see, to me, the the change in her face, facial expression was subtle, almost like like you can't not react to a gun being pulled on you. But it to me, it wasn't like a look of surprise. It yeah. was, it was almost a look of like confirmed suspicion. Yeah. Hmm. I did. I did. Whenever y'all were talking about Bourne's character, I did have one like kind of smaller thing to kind of mention about that, and kind of my opinion on his character as a whole. Um, which I won't. I won't go into any spoiler talk on the, the later movies. But I do love how and I think one, and, I, and I'm sure y'all would probably agree with me on this. Um, I hate it whenever, especially in in this day and age when action movies are coming out a dime a dozen, and there's just so many of them, and just constantly using different tropes different styles and people reusing stuff and reusing plots i really hate i really hate the action hero that's just i mean unfortunately john wick we all love the action but come on he's not really a deep character i really don't love characters like that and i think that um and and Mm -hmm. even and and even and that's the reason why i i adore mission possible 3 is because it made ethan hunt not the bombastic, long-haired, cool dude from Mission Impossible Two, and you know, don't you insult that hair? <laughs> okay, it's 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 pretty beautiful, but I'm sorry, I hated his character in that movie. But um, but you know, you take a movie like Mission Impossible Three, and it really humanizes these action heroes. It humanizes these people that have gone through a lot of crap, and I think that that's one reason why I enjoyed um, Born so much is just because even from identity, you get that sense of you know, this guy's a human. This guy has done some, he's done some wrong. He's done a lot of bad things. And I think, um, and especially like at the end of the movie, when he's, when he says, you know, apologizes to the young girl, I think that that is such a tender and just such, such, such a heartbreaking moment that just shows that Bourne has a heart and he really is a human yeah. being and that he's not just this cold blooded killer that he's made out to be. And so I think that's just one, that's just one thing that I just enjoyed in this movie uh, as as the journey is that it starts out as this revenge thriller and then as you said earlier um i think it was you gabe was you were talking about how he um realizes throughout the movie that you know i'm the one that did that, that did wrong i'm the reason why marie's dead i'm the reason this that or the other i it's me 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 not you 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 um so um yeah. i don't know it's just that's just that's just a problem I have with a bunch of action action heroes and a bunch of I mean you know back back in the eighties you had a bunch of action heroes that were just mindless shooting and just and then they they just looked cool while doing it but I think that whenever you take the time to really dive into characters such as such as um, Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible three or even in Fallout um, I think that it really benefits and really just adds a whole another level of. Uh, gravitas and just hold as a whole nother no whole nother level of depth to your story and really enhances and i think that's why the born movies are just are above other action thrillers for me is is because of that reason yeah, yeah. And i think based on these two movies they both walk a fine line in you know making a super soldier out of him but stopping short of like superhero yes in, yes. in terms of ability like 
things, his plans mostly seem to work out. He really does, like, he's beaten up, things go wrong, but, like, he is an incredible stra- uh, strategist. He's, you know, he, like, like you said, Gabe, well, we were just talking about uh, Greengrass's style. The movie is constantly following this incredible plan laid out in, like, five seconds, and so much of it works. Um, what things that I like, like, they're weird little touches that I like that remind us that he is human. I love that he keeps the limp for a while. Like yes. after he jumps onto the boat, you he limps for like the next several several uh, scenes and locations. And there's those little touches that remind you that like he's great. He's like an amazing human physically, uh-huh. but he's still human. And so when, when movies find ways of of doing that, whether it's physically like that or his performance talking to Irina is I think incredible yeah, you know where he's like he's just saying I would I would want to know you know it 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 does make him a cut above I think uh, other other protagonists yeah also the actress in that scene I think her, her name's like Oksana Akinshina uh she's I believe she's Russian um like she is mm. really good at least it's like tiny little mouse and just she has to pretty much you know carry all the emotion of that scene just on her face and reactions, and you just you so, feel so freaking bad for her. I know it's it's just a really you you feel like you shouldn't be there watching that. You're like this feels horrible. Like he's literally telling she's have she's been living this lie that her mother killed her father, and then Bourne's like, oh psych, uh, I actually did it. Uh, and just yeah, the and the uh, I'm sorry. It's like like it's. It doesn't. Re- what does that even mean at this point? Yeah. You know, it doesn't. It's not going to make her feel any better. Like it's, you know, it's it's all he can say. But at the same time, it's like, it just doesn't. It feels. It doesn't really mean anything either. It, it um, doesn't feel like it has a lot of meaning behind it. It just. He's like, well, yeah. I need. I need to say something because I don't want to not say anything. So I mean, yeah. What do, I mean? What? Do, how do you break that news to somebody? She's gonna need another decade of therapy. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, so. I, I don't know. I, I do feel like it works for the redemption. Oh, for him, yeah, but like uh, for uh, her. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I killed your parents. I don't know. For also, me, if, if I was living <laughs> under the assumption that my mom randomly went crazy and killed herself and my dad, <laughs> yeah, like the, there would be some semblance of like catharsisism in in yeah. the closure of like it's well now I have to deal with the fact that my parents were murdered. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. At least I get to remember my like for her, even like her as a kid, she's so absent from so much of the movie. I I think it's actually to the movie's credit, you know, finally this person who's only been this peripheral like idea of a character being this one of the last conversations in the movie. I think is really really well done. Yeah. Um, well, you think about like actually think about a character, you know, you can't even hardly recall like maybe nice memories of your mother without the tinge, like every single memory is painted mm-hmm. now by the final action. And so you get the idea that that, that picture, you know, when he talks about the picture and it's like, oh, it, it's nothing. Uh, you almost get the idea that there's some sincerity there. Like the picture's up maybe only out of formality. Like I've got to have, a, I guess, a picture of my parents. But I almost got the idea that she can now look at that picture fondly again because these memories aren't aren't tainted anymore. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Just really good. Act, just really kind of shows Damon's acting. He just has such a variety in just every single role that he's done. 
He, he can he can do a lot. The man can act. We should we probably should mention Carl Urban. It is it is kind of weird <laughs> that they chose a New Zealand actor to play you know, this person whose dialogue is ninety percent Russian. Um, mm-hmm. Like he's good. I, I think you know what they wanted was just his you know his he has a very unique face again. You're going back to faces, and also he's got just the presence of a movie star, so he sells it all. Mm-hmm. I, I love cutting to the nightclub he's in and the long tracking shot when he walks out and. All of all of like the nightclub glitz just is completely broken by this like bright daylight and mundane outdoor location. Like that transition from the nightclub into the street is so cool to me. I'm I'm very I'm I'm very torn on his character. I absolutely love Carl Urban. I think um, I was trying to think of uh, just like kind of looking back on his other roles. Have you all both seen Red, the Red movies? Mm-mm. Long time ago, I don't remember. Long time, long, 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 long time ago. Okay, I well, mean, Carl Urban, I think he's play- a- Aomer and, and Bones for me. Oh yeah, yes, exactly. Um, but he plays a, C- a, a, C- a CIS agent in that movie where where he. Um, well, I, again, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to spoil it for those you for James. You haven't seen it, um, but he plays a very. Um, I would go watch that movie and like kind of maybe compare his performance. Um, obviously, he doesn't play an assassin, but he plays a very similar side character, like someone who's chasing the good guy, like like just mm-hmm. someone who's chasing the someone who's chasing the protagonist. He plays a very similar character, and I really, really love him in that. I love. I, I'm torn on him in this because part of me is like. I, I really love that he's like like not having him in the movie kind of helps with his the the kind of sinisterness of him. But at the same time, I'm like it's Carl Urban, man, and he, he can, the, the guy can act, and he's and he's a very dominating physical presence. And I and so like I I, I like him a lot. I I can I agree. I think he's good. He does spend most of his scenes in a car at the end. Um, a lot of his a lot of his action scenes are in a car. Um, I mean, in the beginning hey, and in cool the Jeep, end, man. that's, that's, that's very, uh, that's true. That's true. Um, but no, yeah, I like him. I just, I just, part, part of me wishes that he may, maybe him and Borm could have had a little bit more of a rivalry maybe, but, uh, yeah, but anyway. and this was still early in his career. You know, we're just after that, that's true. Rooms. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I, we should talk about that Moscow car chase. It's pretty good. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but it's, 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 it's pretty damn good. <laughs> It's just the, again going back to his rhythms and the how freaking intense it is and just the flat the flashes of information the way it's shot I, the way Greengrass shoots car chases is that I feel like I'd say a good 70 percent of the shots are from inside the cab oh, which yeah. I thought oh, is yeah. really interesting we had a couple you know exterior shots setting up geography but then almost always inside the cab like from you know from the the, the driver's perspective looking out at the other cars around us and. And the way the board is driving, like he's you try driving a stick shift with one hand, trying to you know, dumping vodka <laughs> onto his bullet wound. Yeah. It's just the the crazy intense. Also trying to read a map, dumping vodka <laughs> on his bullet wound, driving stick shift with one hand. It's like you, you feel the stress of you know what that would be like. While also cops are trying to get you and assassins trying to kill you. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's, a, it's just a, it's a it's a very stressful scene to watch. It. I mean, it's very it's. I mean, it's arguably. I don't know if it's my favorite car chase, but I'm. I would say like 
at least top three for me, just because of how it begins, how he's casually walking under the bridge and then he just gets shot in the shoulder. And then, and then after Which, that, it, just how fast Carl Urban just jumps out of his car and takes a pot <laughs> shot at him. I know. And like, I'm like, dude, he's like how many yards away and you hit him uh, anyway. I was just, but just the way that it just, he gets hit. Then Carl Urban, you know, gets like arrested and then Carl Urban just like books it. And then they're, and then they get chased. And then like, and then one thing I was going to say that I think maybe James mentioned of how, you know, there are moments whenever he, you know, it's, he's constantly improvising. He, he's constantly going and like, I love how he got, he walks into the Caesar grocery store, walks in and grabs a bottle of vodka, grabs a newspaper, grabbing like grabs all this different stuff. And then just the way Punches it stops, steals a cap, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just the, just, just the, with the build up to it. And then, oh man, the music, I have listened to that. For for years, I have listened to the uh, Bim Bam Smash that score. Uh-huh. Oh, it is such good music. It is it just the, the 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 constant drums, like the kind that kind of constant drum beat. And I don't know. I just and I and I love and I love I just love the the pacing of the car chase when they when he's driving, and then the 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 music will kind of pause for a second when and he's hit by a truck or something, or he goes into a. Uh, yeah. Uh, intersection of traffic and then the music just pauses and he gets slammed and then he does that a cool spin he kind of whips around the steering wheel and then um one of my favorite shots of the whole chase is whenever they're on opposite sides of the of the of the river and he and Bourne kind of look kind of looks over does kind of that side glance mm. yeah there's just there's just a lot of really good shot selections and i just love the freneticness and the music and and it's fast i mean it it, it i mean it it happens fast it's just it's it's quick brutal and effective and yeah i love it it's, it's good it's good, good and, stuff. And the thing that i love about green guy style that i think makes it more than just quick you know quick cut shaky cam garbage is that that entire scene is so freaking intense and yet he's able to for the final minute where it's just the two cars doing like this car kung fu kind of stuff going on like where they're spinning around each other and <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, outmaneuvering yeah, yeah. the other guy like there's like a, a solid minute of that where you know, it's been crazy intense and then he just like ratchets up the tension another 100 percent, and there's like it's just cutting you know cutting through these shots so fast you get the way he's able to you know, still clearly show what each car is doing and you know and you know from the perspective of the characters it's really just a beautiful like masterpiece of a minute of filmmaking of the that final moment until that cr- crashed which just boom it's done now yeah, the, the, uh, the, yeah there's something about car t- car chases and tunnels too when he gets in the t- tunnel it's just like kind of like the t- almost the the in a way the tone changes like every like you said everything kind of changes when they when they get into that tunnel the shot selection changes it gets a little bit it's fast, but it's not as it's very claustrophobic. Yes, yeah, claustrophobic, and it's and the shot selection is 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 different. The cameras the cameras in completely different angles than it was before, and it just and the way that they you know like you said, Gabe, it's it's all cohesive. You can you can really really tell what's going on. You can tell that oh well, he smashed him up against the wall. Well, he shut out the tire, and then now he changed the gear, sh- and then he put up the, the emergency brake, and then now he's. Now the the Jeep is in front of the taxi, what, you know, but you're able to see everything. You're able to clearly see what's going on. And it's it's just, it's incredible. The only issue I take with the car scene James, is... James, don't do this. Th- <laughs> that, <laughs> that little taxi gets T-boned like four times. Dude, Russian and manufacturing, he, he like, okay? Yeah. <laughs> he gets, he, he does his little like spinning around the the steering wheel to, to break out of a of a spin out 
like like every time it's like boom you are done spinning around we have we go into like the the passenger angle of him like spinning around and just getting right back to it like that thing that thing is a sports car <laughs> this is russian taxi okay yes yeah, so we i can i, I can get past man it. <laughs> it takes a flipping beer i can get past a little bit of that like yeah yeah by the end of it it's like basically nothing like by by the time by the time he he slams carl urban into the concrete it's basically nothing at that point but you know i can forego a little bit of maybe realism with that to to to, to get a badass car scene yeah. they they better have at least gotten like a sponsorship by <laughs> the russian <laughs> car manufacturer exactly it's a really good ad for that car I, use, I, I, use, I love that the, the boring car chases are never in a cool car. It's always some dorky little thing. <laughs> Maybe some yellow car, some like yellow dorky car. Yeah, I think I think the only the only the only other thing that I I think we've really hit all the bullet points. I think the only other thing that I really wanted to mention is I, in my humble opinion, I think that the ending scene with the final conversation between uh, Pam and uh, Bourne. Uh, that that final conversation and then his get some get some rest pain you look tired that is so badass and that is so and then you have the and then you have the um um i can't believe i'm I'm blanking on the name of the song the extreme ways and then you have the extreme ways blaring and you have born walking down Mm. the street going into the unknown you don't really know what's going to happen next i think that is just a phenomenally shot and done ending i absolutely love the ending i'm i'm really glad they didn't just end the movie with his conversation with the daughter i'm glad they um i mean maybe it could have maybe it would have worked better but I, at least for me i just think that ending because it kind of adds a, li- a little bit of closure while keeping it open-ended for the audience mm-hmm. um it, it's just, the one time that Greengrass gives into the cool of the spy genre <laughs> yes yes exactly yeah exactly i just i just i and i, and I love the whole and i just think that it kind of plays into that whole thing into the whole thing earlier when he had the sniper on the rooftop and he could see her but she couldn't see him and i just think that was kind of a fun little you know Mm. i don't know gag is the right word but a fun little fun little thing that he did earlier in the movie then he reused it but um but yeah no i just i i really love that final sequence very very well done just it puts a almost little nice little bow on top but not quite it is interesting how each one of these sequels like the first film the second film each, they could have stood kind of like the toy story trilogy in that way like like they could have ended there and it would have been perfectly satisfying Exactly, but they add a little bit, add a little bit extra. There's more to tell and more money to make. Uh, exactly. Um, <laughs> so are y'all, about, y'all about ready to move into the talking about the score? Yes. Uh huh. I'm good. I, I haven't done this in a long time. I can't remember when did we last talk about a score. It yes. has been a bit. That whenever you sent me the highlights, I was like, oh yeah, that was we used that, to that's do something this. that we technically do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like an element that does not get enough credit for this series success is Powell's music. Like it's crazy mm-hmm. just how many scene sequences and moments are dominated and co- driven by the you know, it's, it's it's like the heartbeat of the film that like that that like born exactly. action theme is just like it's like a heartbeat that's driving this movie. Um, it's the way he uses repetitive rhythms uh, and percussion just constantly. It's, it's like it's. It, it gives this incredible cohesion to the way, you know, Greengrass is very kind of chaotic imagery. <clears throat> a couple tracks I wanted to highlight. Uh, the first one is Goa. It starts with the the, the somber, sad, born theme, kind of you know, the, the loss. And then you get the jockey music, which is this very fun, almost kind of hopeful, but, but still serious and focused. 
I I don't know. I'm not musically inclined enough to. F- is that the Born theme sped up? Did we, what did you know that? I um no idea. I ha- I was li- I listened to the Go soundtrack. I couldn't like it, it sounded like it could be, but I couldn't tell for sure. Yeah, I I don't know. I was actually I was gonna say that Go. I, um, I don't know if either of y'all have played through the Uncharted series of video games on the PlayStation, but that 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 score the goa or whatever um and the jogging music really reminded me of a uh, like nathan drake's theme i know that kind of kind of sounds very random and huh. weird but it, it, it kind of reminded me of kind of that, that hopeful adventureness kind of that adventureness of hit of you know just kind of very pretty music to listen to um but yeah but gabe yeah i i don't know if it's the if it's that or not i couldn't tell you as of right now yeah and then there's uh the drop um which is I, I love that it's underlined by this like repetitive beat, like a clock. But it's, it's like slightly faster than like a, a, a standard metronome beat, and so it, it feels it's it's constantly just pushing you forward. And then you know the action born theme comes in, but this the whole time is that constant ticking underneath, just pushing us forward. It's propulsive, and very methodical and focused. And then they have the, the heavy chaotic percussion that comes in when Kirill uh, comes in, just throwing everything off but but the, still that underlying rhythm is never lost it's really um it's a really just perfect little kind of thriller bit of music yeah. um then and maybe my favorite one is a funeral pyre which is you know very it starts really quietly with the light strings and piano um it's it's like a very very sad theme but but also i i love the way that the music kind of gets into board's head like Everything like it's this, but also very focused. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah, yeah. Every piece of music, it's sad but focused. It's chaotic but focused. It's scary but focused. Like it's always has. It feels like it knows what it's doing and what where it's gonna be. Um, but it's this really sad theme. But just it slowly builds the same theme over and over. Like the orchestra slowly comes in. And it starts sad until it builds to where it's like almost just angry, but all the same theme. The tempo just kind of increases and becomes more intense with more instruments. It's, it's it's really good. Um, there's a Berlin foot chase, which is just this reckless, propulsive version of the action theme with a lot of chaotic percussion. Yeah, uh, one, one thing. Yeah, one thing that I that that I was gonna say about the Berlin foot chase that that's one of the tracks that I have down that I really enjoyed was I don't know if you know if y'all noticed this, but I got some um from uh, some uh, stairs and rooftops from Fallout vibes when it comes to the to the slight piano. Because the in the piano, you know, in that and the in that track, you have that the Henry Cavill's kind of theme, the ding 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 ding, ding the kind of the very slight like high piano. But in this one, I kind of noticed a little bit of a uh, piano in the Berlin foot chase that kind of reminded me of that, which I thought was kind of cool. Just very like slight piano in the background, um, that kind of just the kind of frenetic piano in the background that kind of reminded me of that. Um. Okay, so uh, moving to uh, Bim Bam Smash. So this will be like so. There are, there are three main themes that I've noticed across you. You have, you have the, the sad born theme, the action born theme, and then like the electronic car chase theme. Yeah, um, which is 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 like weirdly upbeat and almost like techno for the series. It, almost, it feels almost out of place, but it's it's really fun. Um, but but he kind he's kind of evolved in this where you know, it's not just it's it's mixed in this electronic rhythm, but also with a lot of uh um. Or, you know, or orchestration and other music mixed in. Uh, it was just really cool the way he, he's able to you know bounce between the, you know the heavy electronic but also orchestral music. I, I think like I, I this this the score and this feels like a lot more I don't know full body is the term but it just 
the, just the way he's it's not just electronic he's able to f- just to play around a lot with various styles of music and combine them yeah um i was just gonna say but yeah bim band smash is just <laughs> i don't know about y'all but over the years i have uh unapologetically listened to this while driving in the car um perhaps making myself maybe look kind of dumb but i think i think i, I feel pretty cool mm-hmm. when i listen to it driving even though i'm not driving at 80 miles an hour and doing some cool spin maneuvers with my steering wheel. But, um, I want one, the one thing that just constantly gets me is just that, that constant drum, that, that, that constant drum that I don't know that, that mm-hmm. just for me, having that in there, like you said, um, Gabe, along with the, um, the other orchestral music and just the kind of techno kind of sound just really, really do it for me. And then some of the music kind of throughout, um, um, a little bit in this remind me a little bit of solo a little bit when, in terms of like hmm. the Corellia, the Corellia chase, um, has a lot of drums. If you listen to the solo score, um, th- that kind of reminded me in terms of like the drums and kind of the fast pacedness of, of, of everything. There's one, I can't remember what the, what the track is, but there's one track. It may be, be the Berlin foot chase that has the very similar drums, like in solo, which he did the score for, he did both scores. So I, I kind of like that he uses that. That I love same the solo thing. score, but I don't remember what you're talking about. I'll okay, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. If you look, yeah, if you listen to like the uh, Corellia Chase, um, there's there's a, these big big bombastic drums that go on like a kind of a, kind of towards the middle of the song. So like if you ever listen to that, um, definitely definitely look out for that. That's just, that's kind of something else I noticed. I think but. John Powell deserves to be in the conversation here. When you're talking, you know, John Williams, Hans Zimmer, Michael Giacchino. Like, oh yeah, I think he deserves to be out there. Like, Go listen to the How to Train Your Dragon scores. They are the greatest <laughs> ever. Uh-huh. Just the best. Yeah. Oh, also one other one other track. I don't know if you were going to mention this, Gabe. That I that I really enjoyed was Atonement. I think Atonement was a very soft and somber kind of kind of adds some closure, but also keeps a little keeps a keeps it a little bit open for us as an audience. Um, I just think thought that it was just it kind of just added some clarity and a little bit and a little bit of closure, maybe for Born. Um, and, you know, since he finally revealed the truth to the daughter, I think that it make the, the music kind of reflects that. Um, so that was, that was, that was just, that was one other track. And then of course, Extreme Ways is just one of the best closing songs of all time. And Moby's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's so perfect for the boards, the board yes, films. Uh, exactly. Do you, you have anything to add about the uh, score, James? Uh, I, so I only listened to the, the two highlights and I, I also did that while working, uh, and didn't end up uh-huh. picking like like I I remember I can recall them but there wasn't a whole lot that stood out so like my biggest memory of the music in this film is like it never just kind of gets lost in the background it it feels like something that is driving like I said it's it's very per, per, percussion heavy it's very repetitive in a in a good way like it you feel its presence it it's never like it never feels like obligatory music. Uh, yeah, and it's yeah. used in certain transitions in ways that I think was really cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's move into our uh, star rating ranking. Um, I'll start with you, Sam. What do you give this film out of five stars? And, and since you're only going to be here for this episode, uh, I'll get you to rank um, all five, all five <laughs> board films for us. Okay. Um, so out of the so for this so for this film, I would give it. 
while while I do while I do unequivocally love it and it is one of my favorite, I don't know if I'm going to give it the five out of five star. Just like that. I saw master. your letterbox ranking. I know, I know. I've been going back and forth. Okay, <laughs> so I think I think I'm gonna get I'm gonna give it a solid four and a half. I I don't think that I will ever waver. I just absolutely it's one of my favorites of one of my favorite action movies of all time. I just think the sense of freneticness and just the pacing, and I just. I think the action is just without equal and that car chase really really does it for me and i'm i, I do love me a, a, a good car chase but um so four and a half stars and then as for the ranking um i would say as of right now um i need to rewatch uh legacy and jason Bourne because it's been a while but i would say <laughs> that's that's actually true um i would say i would go one supremacy two ultimatum three identity Four, I would say Legacy, and then five, Jason Bourne. All right. And you, James, uh, what do you give this film out of five stars, and how do you uh, rate the two films? Uh, so I I really like it a lot. I I don't like it quite as much as The Bourne Identity. Uh, something that we didn't talk about uh, too much, or really at all in, in the in the main review, is is that as much as I liked it as a continuation, it, it felt... And I, I use ninety nine percent of the time. I hate it whenever I see this word in reviews. So maybe I'm a hypocrite, but it it feel it felt a little derivative, in that like it follows a very similar structure and hits a lot of the same beats as the first one. Like, despite a stylistic shift, I felt a like familiarity with it in a way that like okay, this this is gonna happen down to like. The fact that it almost feels like we're leading to a reveal, despite the fact that the movie plays its hand fairly early on. Uh, mm -hmm. So because of that, and because I, like, I, I'm not quite... Like I said, I, I, I really like that Identity finds a little bit more quiet time that he he has another character to uh, to dialogue with. And also, like I was thinking about it uh, more a few days ago, or maybe it was whenever I was watching Supremacy. Something that I really like about Identity is it almost has like a '70s thriller vibe in it, like very, oh yeah, yeah. very like minimal, like almost a washed out kind of uh, visual aesthetic, like desaturated, very dry looking. And I'm just kind of predisposed to to the '70s aesthetic. So, but I, I still really like this a lot. I think I'm going three and a half, just first blush. Um, but rewatches okay. could change that. I do. I really did like it, though. I'm also trying to be a little bit more strict on my on my ratings. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm a, I think I'm a little bit too uh, forgiving of a lot of things when it comes to my reviews. I need to learn that that skill at some point. <laughs> uh, but all that to say, I did really like it a lot. But I, I do go Born Identity first, and then Born Supremacy. Yeah, so I give it uh, uh, four stars out of five, which is what I gave it identity. But I, I I rank it underneath identity. I just as you, like you said, I kind of prefer the more human story of identity. I, I, for me, like middle chapter syndrome is a very real thing. I often have a kind of a harder time connecting to middle chapters, just the way they're structured. Like there's there's I, I love being introduced to a new world and new characters and kind of exploring that. So like that that the joy of that is a little lessened. So I have no real problems or complaints with it. It just doesn't it just doesn't do as much for me personally as the first film yeah. did. 
Oh yeah, no, I I can I can definitely see I can definitely see that because yeah I, I'm I'm just on more of the side of just I just absolutely adore the freneticness and the fast pacedness so that's just my personal taste yeah but, yeah. Um, so moving into the uh, box office, uh, it earned 176 million domestically and 114 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of 190 million on its 75 million dollar budget. Um, it's the uh, the second highest grossing film in the series domestically a- after Ultimatum, and the third highest grossing worldwide after Ultimatum and Jason Bourne. It holds an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 73 on Metacritic, uh, which is within a few percentages of what Identity got. Uh, the audience scores on all those sites are are very close as well with identity usually just slightly edging out supremacy on most sites. Um, the reviews are all very respectable. Uh, maybe not, not terribly effusive, but I, I feel like the, 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 the praise is mostly going to, to the, uh, thrilling style and its intelligence as a thriller. Um, but what they, I noticed that there's very few of the either better than the first or, you know, not quite as good as the first, like, most most sequels either get one of those. This film didn't seem to you know to have much of either. You know, people are like, oh, it's not as good, or oh, it's so so much better. It, it's it's interesting. Like it, this, we talked about it in the first film. It felt felt like it felt like you know, this series is often ju- or at least the trilogy is kind of judged as a whole with very little. It doesn't seem like the the, the cinephile conversation picks out one or the other over. It's just kind of it's the born trilogy. Um, so the, the, the reviews for this really felt, in, you know, very much, uh, confirming what I thought about that. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, um, what, I've, I've noticed that whenever I talk about, but I've talked about supremacy with friends and they're like, what, but ultimatum's the best. Everyone knows that. Well, Everyone it is, knows- but, yeah. well <laughs> maybe I need to re- maybe I need to rewatch it again, but yeah, that, that, and, and I haven't and seen my- it in like eight years, so we'll see if I still see, I still <laughs> yeah. think that. Yeah, no, yeah, I'll I'll rewatch it and let y'all know what I if, if if my ranking changes, but um, yeah. So as far as his legacy, it's just like it's it's one of the boring films. Like, I feel like the there the already only is thing a boring legacy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. I mean, yeah, but um, like, that's Jeremy. Renner, the only thing, no one cares. The only thing I feel like that gets singled out of this film is people <laughs> complaining about shaky cam. Do y'all get the same impression? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, like I mean, we. I feel like this episode and next episode talking about legacy, we're almost just going to be somewhat repeating a conversation, uh, the a conversation we had on Born Identity. In that, like, if you force it to go there, people will eventually start making distinctions between the three. But the general big picture legacy, it, like, it feels like this trilogy is very much considered as a whole unit you know like it it's hard to differentiate the legacy of one from the other it's like no it's it's the born movies mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah i th- I would say i would yeah i I, th- I get that feeling too i think that when people think of born they think oh that w- those were the born supremacy and born ult- the, 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 that was the that was the trilogy that introduced the dreaded the dreaded uh shaky cam and paul greengrass is is, is the one who yeah. did that to film and uh you know and I don't really think it's fair completely. I think that they, if they really watch the movies and watch them for what they are and just solve and just see how it works stylistically for the, for the story, I think that it works very, very well. Yeah. I guess this film's biggest, uh, you know, claim to fame is that it brought uh, Paul Greengrass on the international map. Um, He's gone to have a really interesting career continuing the real life dramatizations. You got a blood, you started with bloody Sunday, then you had 1993, Captain Phillips. And then you did the uh, July 22, which I, I still need to see. Um, 
like he's still kind of he's that that's kind of his trend with most of his films you know he, ha- he has the one the green zone which is fiction he's got another tom hanks movie called news of the world coming out which is supposedly a western which i'm fascinated to see what he does with that oh wow hmm i did not didn't know that yeah so that uh, that was our review of The Born Supremacy. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, uh, I'd ask you again to please uh, take a moment to go and give us a rating review on iTunes. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise League Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisedPod. And if you want to hear about other episodes, you can go to FranchiseLeaguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, Sam? Uh, you can follow me over at Letterboxd. I'm there as at S-D-O-D. And then you can follow me on Instagram at at sam.r.dotson d-o-d-s-o-n then of course you can go find me over on facebook i'm over there in the outer rim lots of star wars conversations we have the mandalorian season two coming up so that's very exciting stuff so uh i'm over i'm over there as a member along with you know james and gabe and all those guys so yeah you can just follow me over there uh where can people follow you james uh you can also follow me over at both of those things uh, the outer rim uh, as well as Letterbox, I'm there as JL Hamry. It's JL H A M R I. I haven't been doing a lot of reviews lately, but I, we're, I, I, my life is starting to, to calm down a little bit. You know, I'm all moved in, things are all packed away. Uh, starting to find a little bit more free time, maybe. Uh, although that's maybe just because I called in. So. It's, it's artificially created free time so maybe I won't be writing more yes. but that's where you can find me nonetheless I am also on Letterboxd and there's Gabriel Green uh, there you can find all the definitive movie uh, opinions um, and uh, you can follow me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green and I have a YouTube channel called Greenario One where I put out various uh, movie you know, movie music videos and uh, trailer mashups and whatnot. All right, so uh, not not next week. I keep wanting to say next week. (laughs) Two weeks from now, uh, we'll have our episode on The Bourne Ultimatum, um, which, as I said before, I haven't seen in like six or seven years. It's been a long time. It was my favorite in the series, and I'm very interested to see if it still holds up after uh, this first rewatch in many, many years. And uh, it'll be our first for you, James, again. Yeah, very excited. So we'll see you again in two weeks. Get some rest, Pam. You look tired.